Hey there, and welcome back to A Conversation for One Podcast, the podcast where I ramble on about horror and sci-fi multimedia, film franchises and universes, theme parks, Canadiana, and so much more. Well, this October, we are just jam-packed, jam-packed, with Halloween, October, spooktober content. And I thought, what better than crossing off one of my film shame slash movie shame lists that has just been on there for forever, like five ever, like a long ass time. And that is 1968's George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to a night of total terror. Night of the living dead, the dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. adventure in fear. An experience in shock, more shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. A night with the dead who cannot die. A night of total terror. So, First things first, let me just get this off my chest here. I do not like zombie movies. I don't. Uh, I was definitely one of those people that was like, yeah, like uh, once 2012 comes, guys, we got to be really prepared because that's when the apocalypse is coming because you can totally tell by these like ancient Aztec ruins, like their calendar marks that the end of days was going to be in 2012. And like me and somebody's one buddy in particular, bland planned like planned hardcore we had like our costco outline we had our like island outline what would, what would we bring our like our weapon of choice like i had a hatchet under my bed for like two years i was like no nah. like if a zombie comes when i wake up ain't fucking happening like that that bitch is gonna get it in the head and i was into zombies i had like every book that was out i did all my research and i was watching it to death and then it just kind of came a point um with like pop culture and media that like zombies basically were like force fed it like there was just too much zombies at one point like right around kind of when the walking dead tv show came out it was the easiest monster to do so all of the shitty c-list films and z-list films they all had zombies youtube was chock full of zombies every video game had a zombie mode it was just zombies, zombies, zombies. And it got to the point where I was like, holy fuck. And I was just exhausted. I did not want any more zombies. Um, so <laughs> anyways, so even though one of my favorite, one of my favorite horror movies is Return of the Living Dead, I never actually watched Night of the Living Dead, which is 
the for the film really that started it all. Like there had been zombie movies before, like Bela Lugosi's like White Zombie, and I Walked with a Zombie, and I'm pretty sure there's one more. But there's been zombie movies. They were more like Haitian esque or like under a spell. These are like our bread and butter zombies. These are the but these are the zombies that as a culture we are accustomed to now more so where it's either biological or nuclear or some sort of virus um man-made or whatever makes these things rise from the grave in some capacity or you know it just it's just a staple so yeah i had never actually watched it um i definitely had it on my list and I knew how essential it was and how much of a classic it was. You know, it's one of those movies where um, almost, almost as with most of these films that I'll be talking about in this series, it was just overhyped. It, I, it was bigger than life and I was just told all of these great things about it and how it changed the game for so many people and how so many huge directors and like uh, people that are in makeup, people that are in special effects, actors, how this movie was essential for them. And I always just felt like it kind of got too big for me. Um, but anyways, I sat down to watch it and I loved it. I loved it. So first of all, let me get into it here. Couple things. George Romero made this in 1968. Evidently, this is the only research I did on this. Evidently, he wanted to do one of um, one of Matheson's books. Um, not The Last of Us. I almost said The Last of Us. I Am Legend. Apparently, he wanted to do I Am Legend, and he approached him, "Let's do it," and it was like a no go. Apparently, it was a no go. So he was like, "Okay, let's kind of take the core concept." And knowing that now, especially seeing like uh, Vincent Price's like Last Man on Earth. It definitely feels familiar and you can definitely tell where elements were borrowed but this like by and large is completely independent completely original george romero did not create zombies but he created zombies do you know what i mean like zombies are not his thing but the zombies we know now like he reinvented zombies and for that we should be like be grateful but he made this film independently and he made it in Pittsburgh. So he was away from a lot of movie people. He was away from the money and he did it kind of on his own through multiple different investors. And he does a lot of things that are smart for his budget and for his time constraints. And um, like any independent uh, director, you can tell that he goes above and beyond when he's forced into sort of constraints of filmmaking. So a couple little th simple things that add to the mood just right from the beginning, like little things that you won't really like you're not looking for, but they do add to the ambiance, especially when you're kind of zoning in on that sort of stuff. When um, Barbara and Johnny are going to the cemetery and they drive up the hill, you can see cemetery entrance sign is splattered with blood, just splattered with blood. And if you're not really paying attention because the opening is cold, it's just, it's just quiet, there's nothing happening, um, then you're not, you might not even pick up on it or you might see it, but you're not thinking about it, just little things like that. It Overall, it's just shot very, very smart. Um, you can tell just with little things like that, uh, Romero already gets, he gets around a lot of uh, obstacles by reusing shots, like the zombies walking a couple times, which fun fact, they're never called zombies. They're called the undead. They're called uh, ghouls even, um, walking dead. 
or maybe not Walking Dead, but Living Dead. And it's just it's just cool that zombies become tied with them, even though it's never actually mentioned in the film. Um, so we see, and I, I might call them, I'm, I'm going to call them zombies, but I might throw in ghouls here and there in this episode. So you see the ghouls when they're approaching the house, or there's a couple shots where it's like the one guy who's in the, the darker outfit and the other guy who's in the lighter outfit as they're approaching the house. Th those shots, um, because they're so kind of um, vague in their... Um, their disposition and what they're conveying they're reused a lot and if you do it quick enough you honestly you don't you're not really noticing that he is reusing those shots and I, again smart or when he cuts he cuts a lot in this film there's a lot of quick cuts in between in scenes and sh like within a scene between the shots there's a lot of quick cuts and much like in the texas chainsaw massacre or in a lot of films kind of that are in a similar caliber if something's about to happen, like let's say in Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw's about to go through the body, the next scene would be like, let's say the, a shot of the wall from behind the person with the chainsaw coming through it in blood. You're never seeing it happen. You're saving a ton of money on effects and you're just seeing like the after, the after effect, what ends up happening. And it leaves it to your imagination. Little things simply from the car rolling down the hill and hitting the tree and suddenly the car is damaged or anything that happens within the house. It's just a quick workaround and he uses it super effectively. And just on a filmy perspective, like like a, a film snob perspective, I appreciated that. It, it is one thing that it's sometimes when that effect happens, it leaves you wanting more. In this sense, yeah, sure, I would have liked to have seen it, but did it, it, it it's almost like it creates its own, um, not motif, but almost um, certain ambient, not ambiance either. It almost like it creates its certain like, like a, a mood, a certain um, motif um, in 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 the film, where that sort of thing happens all the time, and it becomes expected, and it in in that sense it becomes more enjoyable, I guess. I don't know. I really dug it though, and I appreciated how smart it was. And he does it in certain ways too, when you can see right when like the budgetary seams are about to like show, like and just completely blow open, he cuts it and shoots it in a certain way where you either A, not thinking about it, or B, he gets around it flawlessly. And it's, it's, it's amazing. But let's just start from the beginning here. Barb, Barbara is an absolute smoke show. I was completely smitten. She is meek, she is small, she has, the long blonde hair that's done in like the 50s, 60s style where it flicks up at the end. Oh God, I don't know what it is with me, but I'm always like, yes, yes, this, yes, please. A little bit of a snaggle tooth, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. When I saw that kind of that weird chip tooth or whatever, I was like, oh geez. But I'm not like a huge teeth snob and I'm not gonna judge a girl's image from the 1968 film. Um, I'm not gonna do it, but she's an absolute smoke show, just gorgeous. When she started on the scene, it's like she's gorgeous and she's gonna be the final girl, but it, there really wasn't a final girl in this film. Not really at all, no final girl. Um, so the film's pacing feels very modern. I highly, highly enjoyed it and I can totally tell why people think this film is usually the film that changes horror. So you have like horror all the way up, um, like you have your B movies, you have your sci-fi horror, you're like monster suits, you have your grand scale horrors, but they're all they're either A schlocky or they're B quality affairs. You know, like you're gonna have Universal putting out their monster movies, or you're gonna have Paramount might be releasing like a big grade A film 
or you're having just like you're straight to the drive-in you're straight to the grindhouse theater just like by not by and large but disposable very disposable films and this film feels very high-end it feels like a um like a high budget um studio film but also it's very cutting edge and very different it's kind of like and this is an awful comparison but it's kind of like how the beatles music still today sounds modern to a certain degree like it's not modern but like the beats the melodies the lyrics they're all very um not light but they're all um catchy and they they don't seem to age um, there is definitely an age quality to uh, Night of the Living Dead, but it never actually feels like you're watching a classic. Now, don't get me wrong. There are parts and things about the film that make you feel like you're listening to a classic or listening. Oh, my God. Watching a classic film. But it never feels, in lack of a better like term, it never feels boring. It never feels sluggish. Everything moves at a very brisk pace. And not that new films need to be fast. But it doesn't feel overly Hollywood, and it doesn't feel um, like overly like a stage play, and it doesn't feel cheap. Um, it's not like constantly jump scares or everything's for a scream. It feels very much like a combination of both worlds, and I don't know exactly why it changed the game, but to me, I I could definitely see for those reasons. That's why people view this in such a high caliber Um what else? Uh, and I love too. Um, so it does feel very modern, but it has a very nice old school flair. Um, so I know I was just kind of saying like it feels like above and beyond, but it does still feel like, like, I don't know. It's a child of two worlds. Like it very much feels like it could belong in like a classic Val Luton style era or a Universal Monsters era or something along those lines, like Eyes Without a Face. It has that kind of haunting old school monster quality with not just because it's black and white, but also too because um, it's just kind of like the character types, the monsters. It just, I don't know. It all just kind of had this like this very... I hate saying like mood, but it is, it, it gave off this certain vibe and it's the aesthetic quality really of how the film was, how the film was shot and how the film feels when you're watching it, where I'd say it does have like a nice old school flair, just a taste, you know, just a little spice at the end of like, you know, like a little kick, a little spicy aftertaste. It definitely feels like it could belong in a classic film um, world too, if we're making weird worlds where films live in. Um, but it is shot very like, uh, gorilla, gorilla, you know, you can tell there's like, like in some senses, it seems bare bones, like how it's shot and like the actual set and the character, like the dialogue sometimes I was like, okay, this dialogue is crisp. It's on point. It's it. I mean, you have your tropes, you know, like, and later on in the film, and I'll touch on it, you got, like, your guy who's literally just there for friction. You have your guy who's like, I'll agree with everything. And you have people that don't really get involved. But sometimes, like, the script is like, all right, we have to do this. And it's like, I'm not going to. And the other person will go, yes. And it's, like, very bare bones. And it almost hurts you to watch. But then sometimes it's super layered. Um, so between how it's shot, um, and it's sh it shot... The, the camera work, how it's shot, goes from very static, like an old stage play, like very 1930s. Like I, when some of the scenes are, sh are set up, like granted, 
It is one of the films that is claustrophobic. It is within a small space where characters are going to boil over or they're trapped. And it's like, it, 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 in that sense, it's very smart on George Romero's part. Like it's less budgetary for him for sure. Um, but you're, it's more of a character piece. So when the camera gets a little staticky or when the characters when the camera gets a little static here with the characters, uh, the dialogue just isn't hitting right. It doesn't happen often. Like I can maybe count all the times on three fingers. That's right. Just maybe like three times. It's, it, it, it feels very static sometimes. Like sometimes I felt like I was watching like Todd Browning's Dracula, like that kind of static, like a stage play on a film. But other times the camera's like, like moving all over the place. It's catching some light. It's catching a little bit of the face. It's doing three sixties. Like, 1080s is going all over the place and it just a quick flip just like that it goes from very static to moving all over the place and you can tell it was almost like between him using their, their standard camera and their handheld camera it's not like the quality was changing uh, and Romero does this weird thing where a shot will be super clear but then you can kind of tell it's almost like he's like oh fuck and you can tell like it's too bare like it's missing it's empty and then all of a sudden it gets blurry like the two characters could be talking to each other and it gets blurry for a moment and you're like this you're almost thinking this isn't professional but then you're like um maybe this was an artistic choice like i'm not implying there was meaning here but maybe he was like maybe if i blurred a bit we won't like maybe one of the sound guys was in the other room or maybe like there was a hole in the setting there where you would see like where the other room was or that it was a reskin room or something um and i thought it was i thought that was great it, the way that camera moved super fluidly it felt very like 70s like film renaissance or like 90s like almost not extreme film but like maybe like a run lola run or something like that it wasn't mind-blowing i wasn't like whoa i've never seen a film like this but at the same time i i can't i can't quite think of anything quite like it um that i have seen that did that that way that's what i mean again riding the line between classic film and a film that feels very modern right so yeah this film wastes zero time within 10 minutes so Barb's and I'm gonna call her Barb's by the way. Barb's and Johnny are up in the, the cemetery. You see the classic scene that like everybody references is like the horse is literally a skeleton, but everybody gives it a kick in the head when they walk past it. It's Johnny, uh, he's like, they're coming to get you, Barbara, like that scene. And I watched and I was like, ugh, just like rolled my eyes. Cause that's really all I knew about this film, like aside from the, the other few main points. Um, but that is like the thing that is always quoted. Um, so that happens. Johnny dies. He eats it. Hits his head off the tombstone. Barbara's like, holy fuck. And she runs into the car. And it's already within these 10 minutes that you realize how useless she is. And I don't mean that as any slight against women. I just mean as her, her character, there were so many times where she could have A, helped Johnny, B, grabbed Johnny's keys, turned on the car, drove that like turned the fucking wheel, but didn't do it. And then once she gets in this house, is useless and does like all like the classic like again classic does the classic like female stereo like the trope where she every time she runs to a corner she has to like flail herself at a pillar or something like oh 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 no like that sort of thing it's like get in the fucking house like you couldn't turn on the fucking car so now you get in the house right already i was like ugh so in these 10 minutes, Johnny dies, she gets in the house, our new hero, Ben, emerges, and they both hole up in this house, and yeah, so Ben is our black protagonist, he's this big burly dude, not burly, but he's a big dude, he's tall, like I thought, 
like when I compared him to, to Barbara, like you, you didn't really have like a sense of scale. I was like, oh, well, he's like a normal man size and she's like a normal girl size. No, Barb is tall. Like once you see other survivors come in, like Ben's a big boy. He's tall. He's got broad shoulders. He's a tall guy. He's not like burly. I don't know why I said that, but like he is a strong dude. So yeah, 10 minutes. Brother's dead. Car's gone. She's in the house. Protagonist emerges. And baby, we got a stew going. Our movie's about to get going. So I know this film made waves um, for not only having this strong black male protagonist who I was mentioning, Ben, um, but I'd have to imagine it would have also made waves for him being with such a honey, like, well, a white honey, like a black guy and a white girl, like on screen, like Barb's, that would have been crazy, right? You're having an attractive blonde white woman co-share the screen with this black protagonist i but like but shit i can't think of any man from any race who wouldn't risk it all in a sealed up house just to get close to her um but i'll leave it at that um i just i just it's it's crazy to think that that would have been such a stink i mean there's definitely people still out there who would make a stink about something like that but it was 1968 again this film this film feels so modern that when you're watching it you're like you that thought without knowing any past trivia or looking into it doesn't quite cross your mind especially because the characters in the film don't really touch on that so much like race never really becomes an issue for the majority of the film it's more and it's kind of like nice it's it's about being like it's about your it's about your species they're people basically at the end of the day the people in the house are about themselves they're about staying alive as a species um so yeah, that was really neat. Um, what else? Uh, it's very it's very easy to see why this film is heralded as the grandpappy, uh, you know, the grandpappy of zombie flicks because it has all the hallmarks here, like everything in here. Um, also too, I do enjoy that the zombies are just brutes in this film. Like you, you don't really see zombies like this anymore. It is definitely like the first step kind of feeling. Uh, they're like literally hell bent on killing and, and damaging property. Oddly enough, I thought that was kind of neat. Um, and also too, the zombies use tools, which is another kind of something that isn't really touched on. Romero touches on it eventually later. I think it's in uh, day in the dead day of the dead when, um, can't think of the, the zombie's name where he uses a gun and people are like whoa but it's like now that i've seen this it's like that's not that crazy like they use weapons in this film like the girl at the very end of the film takes the um oh fuck what are those called i want to say scraper but that's not what they're called it's like for like laying cement when you're doing bricks i cannot think of what that what that tool is called but she straight up like slasher kills her mom like straight up kills her um yeah, it's just crazy. And also, too, the brain things comes in much later, obviously. It's not from Romero. It's from Return of the Living Dead, which I'm ranting here, so I don't remember if I said that, like, Return of the Living Dead, which is, like, a kind of a spinoff sequel, not only related to this film, but not to Romero. Um, that's the one that actually introduced brains. Like, all of the zombies say brains in this. They'll just eat you, like, cold cuts they'll take whatever piece they can get but yeah there's lots of staples in this film some big ones that came to mind obviously was like the zombies will come back from the dead um the only way to kill them is shooting them in the head um burn the bodies it's the only way to be sure um 
what else was a big one? Oh, that was a really cool scene when he shoots. And like, it's weird how like that whole gun scene goes with Ben shooting the zombie through the window. But when he shoots, that squib literally like blows everywhere. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Like the film is pretty tame, tame-ish in that sense until that happens. And then it like, it becomes a little bit more I use gory very loosely, but in 68, it would have been very gory when they came out. It was kind of cool. There's lots of tropes. One of the biggest ones I'll get to in a little bit later, um, because I do have notes for this. I wrote down some notes because I'm very busy bee lately. So um, what do we got here? Oh, that was it. So very interestingly, interestingly, very interestingly, uh, the zombies are afraid of fire in this movie which I thought was neat. So much like their grandfather, Frankenstein's monster. Isn't that neat? See how I connect that? I always, I am very much of the camp that Frankenstein is a zombie. And I said Frankenstein, so you can get over it. I never say Frankenstein's monster. It's almost like the monster becomes more popular than and more well-known. His namesake almost becomes overtaken by the monster he created. I'm always of that camp and I'm going to stick to it. So you can suck it there. And I don't mean to suck it because you guys are listening to me and I thank you so much. God, forgive me. Please forgive me. But yeah, I just thought that was neat. Like so many times Ben would like douse a piece of furniture in in um, lighter fluid, light it on fire, and then kick it off the curb or off the porch, which I always thought was hilarious. It's like, why don't you fucking throw the couch, throw the chair, the cushions, whatever the fuck you're throwing, like the dead body, give it a toss. He's like lighting it on the porch and then kicking it onto the front steps. It's like dude, there's a very good chance that your house is going to catch fire. But the zombies scatter. They do not like fire. And they use the they use fire multiple times within the film. And I thought that is super neat because I can't quite remember zombies not liking fire. In fact, that's like usually like the thing, like that's how you get your special effects, like your high stunt, your, your stunt moment in your film is like, we're just going to light a zombie on fire. They're going to walk through the fire because they don't really think or feel they're just hungry for flesh. That's what kind of makes zombies their unique monster. But yeah, no, they don't like it. They are very a classic monster that way. I really dug it. Um, right from the beginning, I love the contrast in the characters. I mean, this doesn't really play into anything or develop into anything, but Ben is super focused on barricading and securing the house. Um, like the whole time he's like talking, like she's like, uh, like just like humming, staring into nowhere. And he's like, yeah. So then I had to keep going with the zombies and then I hit them with my car and they were splattering like bugs and I got to hit, like, I got to fix up these windows. And he's just like talking and talking and she's lost. She's like looking for anything to cling on to for security, for like peace of mind. She like grabs a doily or, uh, like a dining room, um, tablecloth almost this is not her house she's just like oh society civilization safety that's instantly what i thought she's just like this is nice and it's i don't know so anyways he tells this whole story about like how he got to the house and it's fairly traumatic but it's like a story you could listen to she starts to tell her story and then and then johnny went here and i was walking with johnny and then johnny walked to this and I said, no, John. And then, like, Ben is like, seriously, Ben's like, fucking enough of your story. And he, like, gives this look. And I, I like, I almost squealed laughing. Gives this look to her. And then he just kind of gets up and continues, like, working halfway through her story. She still keeps telling it. But he's like, whatever. And then I literally laughed so hard because, like, I would do the same thing if somebody was telling me a story like that. It was atrocious. Um, 
Yep. So stuff starts to boil over in the film, which I thought was funny. A couple moments that stood out. Um, she starts to get like weird. Like she's like I'm highly emotional. So Ben literally fucking socks her in the head after a little slap. Like she gives him a little like get out of my way, and he like literally drops her. But I mean, she was starting to like get a little over the top. It's a highly stressful scenario. I mean, it's not an excuse, but in that moment you get it. And I mean, it was 1968. Um, uh, yeah, so the, oh, that was kind of cool. Um, so more tropes, zombie tropes that you see. Um, it's cool seeing that the zombies feel no pain. Like they get shot multiple times, they get like stabbed, fingers cut off, nothing. And they don't talk, which I thought was neat. Um, there's no communication, which is very much a zombie staple even now, like to this day. Uh, and again, they need to be shot in the head to die. They have to be hit in the head in some capacity to die. Um, and whether you were dead and you get bitten, you come back to life, or um, if you have a bite, you slowly manifest. All those things were there, all those staples. Um, the special effects, I did kind of talk, talk about it, all those limited are very effective. Um, yeah, it can be seen as corny or tacky in parts, um, but the shot of the undead uh, walking towards the house, um, you know, with the crickets chirping, that scene specifically is straight up haunting. Like, putting yourself in that scenario, there would be like a puddle of piss. Like, it, like if it was me, there'd be a puddle of piss on the floor by my feet. Um, eventually, we get new survivors, um, which creates more conflict, more dialogue. And... Another blonde smoke show, yes. So two blonde smoke shows and a pretty decent uh, brunette. Um, so we got lucky there. Uh, but one of the survivors is like friction, classic stereotype friction, 1950s white dad. But everybody else seems to be a realist and they all die eventually. Um, this was another staple. This is what I was kind of getting towards. Harboring a loved one who's infected instantly when it's like my daughter's down there but she's not feeling well instantly i was like ah oh, she got fucking bit and i spotted like i smelled that out as soon as it was mentioned um who was like co coincidentally like unwell um and then you see then when you see she's like out like she's on the stretcher eyes are closed uh and it's just like did you get the bandage it's like yeah i just bandaged her arm i was like god fucking damn it like but also too i was like god i can't wait to see how this explodes because they've literally all barricaded themselves in this house and it's always like that and i i i i don't feel bad but you definitely um get where the parents are coming from it's a lot easier it's hard in any scenario to let go of a loved one and in these fictitious zombie scenarios it would be hard to get rid of your child, especially because you know your child is your responsibility. So if they're bitten, especially in this case, you don't know that what the zombie thing fully develops into, but that would be the hardest to be like, yeah, that's my kid. I have to get rid of my kid. It just, it just, it probably wouldn't happen. It's like, it's not realistic. Um, <laughs> one scene, like this is like in my notes here, um, but I feel like I should include it the guy and his girlfriend the girlfriend's like should we go they do they have a normal debate like if we leave will it be safe or it's like we have to leave because that it's not going to be safe here forever you know a normal dialogue that you could you, you would find that realistic in that scenario because it's like how long will we be safe here or will it be safe if we go somewhere else anyways they get to the truck so they're trying to get gas or they're trying to get the truck i don't know what happens but basically 
fire gets all over the truck and they just leave Ben and Ben's like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? And they just drive away and he keeps driving. The car is like on fire, the whole back is on fire. And then the, the truck stops. He's like, all right, we need to get the fuck out of here. He doesn't say it. It's 1968. He's like, we need to get out. Come on, let's get out. And it's within like 15 seconds. Like, come on. And she's just sitting there and he's like, let's go. And she's like, my jacket's caught. And then the whole truck just explodes. And I was dying laughing. Like, I do not think that that was the effect it was trying to get. But it's like, you literally didn't try to do anything. And if your jacket was caught in a scenario where there's like 30 fucking zombies and your truck's on fire, ditch the jacket. But she's like, my jacket's caught. And just so meekly, so mousely. And just the whole truck explodes. And then you see, even though the truck exploded, the zombies come and they eat they eat the leftovers, which I was like, there's no way. There's nothing left. The truck the truck fucking exploded. But they're still eating it. And it's kind of a gross scene. Like, you can definitely tell it's real meat in a lot of scenes. It's probably, like, butcher parts. Or they put, like, weird gelatin-looking stuff on a real person's hand. It was cool, and it was effective, and it got the point across. And I can only imagine how unnerving that would have been in 1968. I'm not saying it's a flaw. Like, it wasn't unnerving now, but with makeup and special effects and everything that's grown since that movie it wasn't like that creepy but it definitely for the mood how the film was shot how everything else had been in that film it worked so ben gets back in the house he finds out the kid is going to be a zombie and you can tell he's like <laughs> like not only did the dad like just leave him out there to die which was like then he like punches him a lot in the head like ben gives it to him and i'm like fucking right you should like it's not like the most agreeable thing to do but he's like that dad was such like a cowardly like slimy fucking piece of shit i did not like him and i know that he was that character on purpose the whole time there was never even like he was such a one-dimensional character that was his point in the film the whole time but he finds out actually you know what i don't remember if ben finds this out before or after but he finds out the kid's going to be a zombie. It's just like, oh, what's wrong with her? Like, what happened? Oh, she got bit. And you can you see his face switch. And he's like, he's just thinking. You can tell he's like, are you like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, why are we keeping her in here? But he just kind of lets it slide. He, he, he says, though, like, you have no idea how fast or how the zombie infection works. Like, you shouldn't have brought her in here. And they're like, it's our daughter or whatever. And he's like, whatever. Right. Like, whatever. Like, Ben is literally written by somebody. Like, like when George Romero or whoever, was it uh, one of the, it was a Russo? Was it Joe Russo or something like that? Frank Russo? When they wrote Ben, you could tell they wrote him, like, as if somebody, like, they know how the audience would feel and react. Like, he literally was one of the smartest written characters, the most realistic characters. Um, he felt like, if you were put in that scene as a smart horror watching film nut, he just reacted like a normal person. And it was so refreshing, but so goddamn funny because like, they'd be like, why would we ever leave our bitten daughter like out with the zombies? And he's like, because like you can just see in his face he's like screaming eternally he's like because there's seven of us in here and we're all gonna die because this place is barricaded but he doesn't do anything you can just read it all on his face and it was really well acted but you can just tell um that's why he's such a likable character i think even when he does things that aren't necessarily seen as like maybe the right thing to do in like a societal or a cultural factor but like there are things that need to be done in that scenario or that happen because it's maybe how you would react 
perfect every single time ben non-stop he's like he's calm when he needs to be he's understanding when he needs to be he's forceful when he needs to be he's realistic when he needs to be he is just like such a well-rounded well-written character i just loved him i thought he was great yeah but the one thing too at the end though i don't know if it's like for dramatic effect or what but he goes downstairs and uh dick 1950s dad and pretty well-rounded wife both dead almost basically both by their daughter's hand dad was already shot by ben ben like the guy grabbed the gun he's like we're leaving ben grabs the gun from dad shoots dad in the gut like not even the head so like dad can suffer and then wife is almost taken by zombies and then finally barbs is like oh let me snap out of being a useless piece of shit and they both like get entangled with the zombies and she's well at least she's reunited with johnny who she is so in love with her brother which is so weird on itself but anyways dad wanders down the basement and he goes to see his daughter and then daughter comes to life finishes him off and then mom comes downstairs and sees daughter and she's like oh fuck like you can see she's like my daughter but then she like realizes too late does nothing falls dramatically stays on the ground this like literally four foot girl anyways the four foot girl takes the uh, the thing and kills mom that's what i was talking about but then um girl goes upstairs she's with the other zombies zombies break in ben goes into the basement seals himself in the basement dad comes back ben shoots him three fucking times three fucking times and i was like why why it's too much it was too much and then mom who was literally bludgeoned to death like stabbed she somehow comes back so i don't know if she got feasted on but he clearly never played nazi zombies like i'm just gonna say he clearly never played that game in 1968 um otherwise he had known that if you're in an ammo pinch you melee with the butt of your gun if it's just one at a time that's how you do it rookie move to unload five shots on some ghouls but seriously that's all i was thinking is like you have a horde of fucking zombies now. You've got like 30 upstairs and you put five shots when you only needed to do two tops. But anyways, that's just a nitpick. Anyways, zombies come. There's like a the militia comes and they're picking all the zombies off and all the zombies that we'd seen the whole film because they were the same extras. They're all lying dead. And uh, just a sharp fucking ending. Ben comes up there spoiler so stop listening here if you don't want to know the very end of this 1968 film so moving forward here ben comes upstairs he somehow lives i don't know how but i don't even question it because the guy is just an absolute unit he gets upstairs and the militia's there and they're like i think we should go in there oh we see some movement and he's just like kind of looking at the window he looks at the window bam shot right in the head done such a sharp fucking ending like to live through all of that bullshit just to get offed by a bunch of hicks without a wince it's like whoa and that's it that's it that that is the fucking end of the film that's it is done i'm sorry for all the cursing but like this film was goddamn good and then the film ends with like a collage like a bunch of like still photos of showing like kind of like step by step what happens as the credits like roll they all take out meat hooks in this like photo collage credit roll and that the fact that they put all these meat hooks into Ben, it was like the touch that put the whole film over the end. So like our hero, the guy who went through everything, who lived through everything, who managed to go above and beyond, gets shot in the head and then meat hooked into a fireplace, like into a fire pit. Wow. 
so yeah, what a film. What a film. I don't know why I slept on this. It deserves all the praise against. Yeah, like I said, it is a little hokey. It is a little corny if you view it in that lens, but if you just watch it for what it is, if you let yourself get immersed in it as you should with most films, not quite perfect, like not quite a perfect horror film for me. As I said, I've been entirely burnt out from zombies, um, but goddamn, so goddamn good. I can totally see why it's a certified classic. It was such a solid, solid film. I loved it and I can't recommend it enough. Criterion has an excellent release for it. I'm not being paid by Criterion, but if you wanted to go see it, this film is through some sort of weird legal boogaboo public domain. So it's it's completely like free to view. You can watch it on YouTube even. But if you wanted to watch like the best version of it with good special features, even if you're not like a physical collector, maybe pick up um, Night of the Living Dead on Criterion Collection. I think it came out last October well worth your time. This movie flew by for me and I enjoyed every minute of it and I can't recommend it enough. I don't know why I ever slept on it. So thanks guys. Thanks for listening um, to this episode of Movie Shame. Um, Stay rad, be excellent to each other and uh, Tyler out. It's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.